You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. I've talked about parables before, but I want to I wanna hit on the purpose of them again really quick before we jump in. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but Jesus spoke in parables because he didn't want everyone to understand what he was saying. I know that sounds bizarre, but imagine it this way. He's talking to a, a large group of people, and he knows that some people are just there because they want to see miracles. Some people are there because they want to see him killed. Some people are there because... They're just there for the food that he's about to multiply. And some people are there because they're actually following after God and they want to learn more. Jesus says the reason he talks in parables is so the people uh, who need to hear it and need to understand it, the Holy Spirit, or as he calls it, the secret of the kingdom of God, the secret will reveal to them the truth of what he's trying to say in the parable. Whereas with other people, it'll go in one year and out the other. Uh, There's a saying that, as far as we can tell, originated with Jesus. You've heard it before in the Bible as you've read through it, but um, with those who have ears, let them hear. That's a saying that originates with Jesus, something he uses throughout the Gospels, something we see throughout Revelation. And that, like, whole statement there is like, some of you have the ears to hear this. Some of you have the secret. Some of you have the Holy Spirit to to know what I'm saying when I relate this parable. And others of you, you're not going to catch it. Though maybe down the road, as you begin to change and start to follow after God, maybe God will open it up to you. So when we come to the uh, parables in the Bible, we especially need the word of God to speak because we can't just understand it with our natural minds. It's the same way with dreams. Dreams are like parables, a, a scenario set before you in which there's a lot of metaphor. And if you want to know the answer, then you got to do what Joseph did. I know the guy who gave the dream named God, and I can talk to him to get your answer. So same with the parable. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk with Matthew 13, 24 to 30, and see if we can maybe get at some of the things that God might want to relate to us in this particular parable. So I'm going to read it to you, and the good news about this parable, okay? There are occasional moments where the disciples are bold enough to be like, I don't get it. <laughs> you shared this cool story, but Jesus, I don't, I don't follow it. And when they do that, Jesus is like, okay, here's what it means. We don't get that with every parable, but in this one, we do. So the good news is we actually know how to translate this. So I'm going to read it to you once exactly as, as it is. See if you can hear what the Spirit's saying. And then I'm going to read it to you by taking what Jesus says is the interpretation. I'm going to put the interpretive words back into the parable and read it again with what he means. So here we go. Matthew 13, 24 through 30. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house Uh, Sorry. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? 
But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather into the wheat, gather the wheat into my barn. All right, now if you want to read the way that Jesus explains what this means, you can go home and read it later. Just fast forward a, another paragraph in Matthew 13. But I'm going to take what Jesus says later in Matthew 13 and now read it to you again, this time telling you what he says the symbolism is, okay? So the words are going to change on the screen as we go through, uh, and I'll do my best to not get stumbled up while I do that. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to Jesus who sowed Christians in his field. But while his men were sleeping, uh, sorry, he sowed Christians in his world. But while his men were sleeping, the devil came and sowed his own followers among the Christians and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then, so sorry, when the Christians came up and bore grain, then the devil's followers appeared also. And the servants of Jesus came and said to him, Master, did you not sow Christians in your field? How then does it have followers of Satan? He said to them, the devil has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, no lest in gathering the followers of Satan, you root up the Christians along with them. Let both grow together until the end times. And at the end times, I will tell the angels, gather the weeds first and bind them. That is, gather the followers of Satan first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the Christians into my barn. So this is the interpretation behind what Jesus says. He explains what all those things meant. And so we've just kind of interjected it back in. And this is a helpful thing for us to look at today because a lot of people struggle to believe in God, struggle to believe that he's real because of the current state of existence, right? There's evil in the world. And people figure if God is love, then he would stop evil and evil wouldn't happen. They figure that it would be like his first priority to, to do this kind of thing. And, and if we see evil in the world, then maybe God isn't all powerful and therefore maybe he's not even real. Or if he is real, maybe he's not as strong as, as people say he is. This is the kind of thinking that a lot of people have when they see that there is evil in the world. And so we're left looking at this parable to see that that is not the case. So let's ask the question straight up and then let's look at this parable for some answers. Why doesn't God deal with evil already? Three reasons. First off, it's not the proper time right now to do so. If you think that God doesn't care about evil, then you're very wrong. And you're missing uh, the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end. If you think that evil is stronger than God, then again, you're missing the point of the story. What we see in the Bible is a, a spiritual storyline going on. And right now, in our current place, if we were to look at the timeline where, you know, everything before the Garden of Eden, where there's God, and then he makes a heavenly host, and then we enter into the timeline of the Garden of Eden, then we sin, and then we've got kingdoms, and the kingdoms sin, and then Jesus is sent, and then we fast forward another 2,000 years to right here where we are, 
We're not at the end of the timeline. Now, God has a plan to get rid of all evil, a good and perfect plan. In the same way that he had a perfect plan to take care of sin with Jesus and to lead people to resurrection, so he has a plan to get rid of all evil. And he's had it in place since the beginning of time. But right now on the timeline, where evil is completely eradicated, is way over here. And we don't know how far it goes. Even Jesus didn't know how far it goes. He said, I don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> I don't know when God's going to appoint me to do that. So in this current spiritual timeline where we currently are, you have to understand evil is still here. It's not that God is lesser than it. It's not that God doesn't want to overcome evil. It's simply that his part of the plan to do away with it has not come yet. So when you read through Revelation, you see the fullness of that time. When God remakes everything, evil does not exist anymore. And anything that could be identified with evil, anything that could be identified with Satan and his kingdom is thrown into a lake of fire, done away with. And then we even see death die. I don't know if you noticed that, but like it seems like people are resurrected. And then there's like a second kind of <laughs> of like reaping of getting rid again of anything that doesn't belong and this time you throw even hell into a lake of fire and you throw even death into a lake of fire. And everything that could be bad is completely done away with. So when we say like maybe God can't do these things because there's evil in the world, we're just misunderstanding. We're not at the point where he's put that plan completely into place. But we are at that point where we know with Jesus we're headed there. Okay, so next thing. Why doesn't God deal with evil already? It's not the proper time right now to do so. The next point. He's giving sinners time to repent. And I don't know if we fully see that in this parable. I think there's some places where we might be able to sense it. But we do see this with the rest of the Bible in Romans 9. And when we go to 2 Peter, we see Peter again saying, like, God wants more people to be saved. That's why he's waiting so long to come back. So there is this implication, if we were to look at it metaphorically within this parable, why are weeds growing next to wheat? Why are followers of Satan growing next to followers of Jesus? Partially because God's waiting to see if anything changes. He doesn't want any followers of Satan. He has so much grace for them that he's waiting to see if they come around. Now, I think people kind of miss the amount of grace that God has for us. And part of the reason we miss it is because we quote some of like the most difficult stories in the Bible to illustrate like God must not be gracious. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Do you realize how gracious God must have been <laughs> to wait as long as he did to get rid of Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, when he visits there, it's bad. Like everyone. The Bible even says like everybody from young to old kids and adults and old uh, grandpas, they all came out, you know? Uh, and so here's a story of just evils completely taking over it. And still Abraham's like, what if you can just find a few righteous people? God's like, that'd be great. <laughs> I would love that. Then we don't have to get rid of the place. So God oftentimes waits for like the fullness of evil to take over before he ever steps in with judgment. You see the same thing in the conquest. The conquest is very confusing. But there is one part where you see God saying like, all right, the Amorites, you're going to take their land. But first... We need the fullness of their iniquity to come upon them. So you got to wait for generations. In other words, I think the way that I read it is like, they're not quite evil enough for me to bring the judgment of conquest on them. So you need to leave them alone. Four generations, then they'll probably deserve judgment given the line that they're going down. So here you see God giving the Amorite space. You see God giving Sodom and Gomorrah space. 
You even see God giving the Ninevites space. I was reading a book recently that tried to, and I know we always do this when we think of evil, but it thought when it researched what they saw in Nineveh, that maybe the closest thing that we could think of in current times is, is Hitler. And that there was this kind of evil going on in Nineveh. And yet God sends Jonah and go tell them to repent. They repent. And then God allows them to, to uh, be saved. He doesn't burn them down. God is always hopeful. Always hoping. And so with this parable in this current time frame before evil's done away with is this huge story of hope. We got time for those who are not saved to get saved. We got time for the weeds to come around and become wheat. We got time to see how this thing plays out. So, again, why doesn't God deal with evil already? It's not the proper time right now to do so. He's giving sinners time to repent. And then finally, and this is interesting, destroying evil will ultimately hurt us. And this is what I spent like forever trying to figure out. I was talking with Jody about it. We were just going back and forth. What, what does this even mean? Why does God say in the parable, like, if I, if I send you out to, to uproot, you know, weed, not, not the way we're thinking, uh, <laughs> if I send you out to uproot the weeds out there, you might accidentally uproot the, the wheat too. If I send you out to get rid of evil, you might accidentally get rid of good and Christians. What is that all about? So part of the reason God doesn't deal with evil already is not actually so you suffer. It's so you suffer less. Because apparently in his mind, he's got a lot of other ideas in place as to what getting rid of evil is ultimately going to do to us. So let's look at a few examples of how destroying evil will ultimately hurt us when we look at this. So how does destroying evil hurt us according to this parable? Number one, disciples can't remove evil perfectly. Eventually, God will come and in his perfect judgment, get rid of all sin, get rid of all evil. But when, uh, when his servants go out in the field and they find weeds and they come back to Jesus and they're like, would you like us to go pull this? Jesus says no. Why? Because they might hurt the wheat. They might hurt the good stuff. So apparently disciples, which is the best way that I can see his servants, apparently disciples cannot remove evil perfectly in this age. And when we try, we actually injure the things around us. Now, I learned this. I learned the complexity of trying to get rid of evil uh, from a very parable standpoint. Okay, so this story is about uh, wheat and weeds. Let me tell you it from my, my point of view. We used to have Jackson Victory Gardens downtown here, and our church helped out there a lot in trying to grow all kinds of crops. Now, we had one specific section that was for carrots. And I tell you, we used to get all of these weeds in the carrot section, but here's what's messed up. The weeds were a weed that looked exactly like carrots when it's blossoming. So this leads me to the conclusion that carrots are sentient. And <laughs> in other words, they can think. It was a joke, but you forgot to laugh. Uh, so it just seems like, I'm like, how? How? All these other paths, and we don't have carrot weeds over there. But in the carrot section, it's almost as though the carrots are riding the wind and planting themselves. That's where we're headed, boys. We'll live longer there. And landing right in that section. Because when we go through the carrots, we're like, 
How? How can we not tell what's carrots and what's this weed that looks exactly like carrots? It's like they chose this spot to be. So to give you an example of what I'm saying, the screen that you are looking at, one of these is the flowers of a carrot. One of these is the flowers of uh, Queen Anne, which is something you see all the time, all around. And one of these is poison hemlock and will kill you if you eat it. So, between the three of these, you have to try to figure out which one is the carrot. <laughs> and you can really tell because when you pull it up, one looks like a carrot, the other one looks gross, and the other one looks like, eat me, you'll die. But uh, outside of that, it's very hard to tell the difference. Does anyone know which one of those is a carrot? Well, of course you do. You gave me the picture. <laughs> The one on the left is the carrots. Yeah, George is right. So the one with the red background there, those are carrot flowers. The one in the upper right there is uh, Queen Anne. Is that, am I saying that right? Queen Anne's lace, yeah. Uh, that one's Queen Anne's lace. You see that all over the place. Uh, and it is a form of carrot. It's kind of like within the evolution chain of carrots. So, uh, Right there you see, if you pull it up, you, I think you can eat that one. It's just really bitter and not very tasteful. Um, but then the one on the bottom there is another form within the evolutionistic chain of carrots, which is poison hemlock and that one will kill you. So uh, between all of these, you see the parable play out in a different route. Between the wheat and the weeds, it's hard to tell sometimes. Between the carrots and the poison hemlock and the Queen Anne's lace, it's hard to tell sometimes. And Jesus is telling his servants, I got perfect judgment to tell that. And I'm giving it time to grow up all the way so I can tell what's what. Because that's what happens with these. We know when it's time to pick what out of the carrot aisle. Because we've given it enough time and they all flower differently. Or you see uh, different stuff along the stem. There's different like hairs and stuff. And, and someone who's really trained can start to tell the difference. But early on it's much more difficult to tell the difference between what's what. And as you see, to the untrained eye, it's hard to tell when they blossomed what's what. <laughs> but as you spend time with carrots, you start to figure it out. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in his parable, because he's talking about wheat, and pretty much all scholars are pretty much on board with this. The weeds that Jesus is talking about, everyone's fairly on the same page. He's talking about Darnell. Darnell is a kind of weed that looks exactly like wheat. On the left, you're looking at wheat. On the right, you're looking at Darnell. Now, Darnell will get fungus inside of it that can kill you. And on top of that, it's not known to be good. It is somewhat of a poisonous plant as well. But you really, to the untrained eye, very difficult to tell the difference. And so Jesus is telling his servants, look, you guys don't have the judgment to figure out what's Christian and what's not. I've got the eye for it. So as far as your judgment goes, you need to pull your judgment away. I know I just preached on judgment recently, and you're like, Jamin, you're on both sides. Go, you know, you got to take the Bible into its fullness to try to understand how it balances these things out. But here you see Jesus saying, like, you, you think that it's not a Christian. You think that's a follower of Satan, but it very well might be a Christian. So you leave, um, you leave that discernment up to me. So, disciples cannot remove evil perfectly in this age, so we are to wait for Jesus, who says, give it time, 
Let it all grow up. And in the end, I'll send out my angels to do the reaping process at that point. So how does evil hurt us? Uh, because if we try to extinguish it, we can actually damage people who are Christians. Have you seen that happen before? <laughs> There's a lot of people who don't go to church today because some other church somewhere kind of kicked them out or made them feel like they weren't Christian. I've even had that happen to me as a pastor, you know, where I feel uh, I've had some comments aimed at me like, Jamin must not really be a Christian or, or whatever because he said this or that. Uh, and sometimes that's just out of selfish gain. One time someone just wanted to wanted me to give them money to weed the sidewalk. I was like, sorry, man, I don't have any money. And he's just like, there's a bad spirit about you, <laughs> you know. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, so, so sometimes you get that, you know, but that even stung me as a pastor to have a stranger say, ah, the Holy Spirit's given me the discernment of spirits and you, you got a demon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can now shovel my sidewalk. I don't know what you want. Uh, but uh, destroying evil, when we try to do that, we can actually end up really injuring people. On top of that, Satan's followers are entangled with us. So Darnell is known to get its roots kind of wrapped around the roots of wheat. And you've seen that probably when you've gone outside to pick up some grass out of the ground or whatever, right? You go to pick something up, but you end up pulling something else with it or just more than one weed comes up. Why? Because it's all gotten tangled up down there. And Christians are tangled up with the world. Christians are living so close to those who are following Satan that they're getting tangled up too. And somehow God knows if I extinguish evil, given the fact that you are all tangled together, it's actually going to hurt you more than you think. And some people will be like, well, I can't hurt as much as this story that this person's gone through over here, the evil that they've suffered. But God seems to have all Christianity on a wider scale in mind. If I, if I were to extinguish evil right now, you have no idea of the effects that it would have on everyone in existence, even on Christians. So for your protection is part of the reason God hasn't done away with evil yet, because we haven't reached that full point where he's got his perfect timing for it. Now, if you're like me, you're trying to figure out what the Darnell represents, right? Because the field, Jesus said, it's the world. So to some extent, we're like, okay, so these are just people living worldly lives. These are just people uh, even following after Satan. Is that what Darnell is? It could be, because again, the field is the world. But at the same time, Jesus also said that he would take the weeds out of his kingdom. And his kingdom could be more like his church. So these could also be people claiming to be Christians who are not. Because you see that with the sheep and the goats later in Matthew, right? Where to some extent, Matthew kind of retells this story. Sheep and goats may be kind of difficult to tell from a distance. But Jesus goes in and he's able to separate the weeds from the wheat, the sheep from the goats. And be able to uh, put them into where they need to belong. So all that being said, uh, what does a Darnell represent? Is it people claiming to be Christians or is it just people of the world? I think it's just probably both, you know? You don't have like God doing a separate reaping process of people who say they're Christians but are not. I mean, to some extent with the sheep and the goats, but uh, the destiny ends up being the same. So with all that being said, uh, we're going through a Bible study on Revelation right now. And those of you who are in it, there's probably a lot of bells ringing as we read through this. You've got stories of angels coming and reaping Christians and God leading the, the charge here and also reaping all of the wheat. And that ends up getting thrown into this lake of fire, which is just what Jesus was talking about as well. 
So these are the stories that, that we see John in Revelation begins to take off with, to, to tell us the story in more detail of how angels come and they mark Christians on the forehead. This one's protected. This one's protected. This one's protected. Okay, now that we've marked them, we can now get rid of the evil. We can now get rid of the weeds. In Revelation, we also see Jesus pictured with a sickle. He comes for the final reaping, and then angels join him, and they reap the weeds after that. Uh, so all that being said, we see uh, this beautiful story painted all the way throughout the Bible of God's wondrous strength and how he does care about evil. But in his grace, he's waiting to, to take care of it. So for now, on the spiritual timeline where we're at, if this is the end right here and we're still right here, for now, in this place on the spiritual timeline, there's going to be suffering. Because we're still right here. There will be suffering for now, not because it's God's plan for us to suffer, but because it's Satan's plan for us to suffer. That's what this parable shows us. Evil comes about because Satan sneaks in and begins to put evil among us. There will be suffering for now, not because God wants Christians to suffer, but because Satan wants them to suffer. There will be suffering for now, not because God's okay with seeing Christians in, in pain, but because bringing judgment on evil right now in this time and place would actually cause Christians more pain in a way that he understands that we do not. There will be suffering for now, not because God is merciless, but because he's so merciful, he's hoping that those who inflict the suffering on you will get saved. He's hoping that maybe even by you taking on that suffering, that that's what's going to be to save them. I don't have the quote, but I was listening to someone wrote a book lately. I was listening to an interview with them, and he was talking about a, a king who uh, he was martyring all these Christians, killing them all. And he's, they're like, should we kill more of them? And he's like, every time we do, it just makes more of them. <laughs> it's just too complicated. So God even sees like our martyrdom as a way of reaching out to those who aren't saved yet. There will be suffering for now. Not because God's unwilling to deal with evil. But because he's already got a perfect plan in place to take care of it at a later date. And so if you ever have to ask the question, why doesn't God deal with evil already? It's not because he doesn't have the strength. It's because he has it all sorted out already. And in this time on the spiritual timeline, we need to be faithful to him regardless of what suffering Satan inflicts on us. The band can come up. A few prophetic words that we, we thought were prophetic. Let me say that. A few words that we felt encouraged to kind of share with you today. There will be a prayer team in the back if anyone wants prayer. Um, but these are some themes that came to our mind. Uh, someone here might be feeling hopelessness, maybe as far as feeling suicidal. We encourage you, go get prayer. Go get the hope that God has for you. Uh, a word of comfort. Death cannot stop him. If that's a word for you, just kind of take that. Uh, you know what that means to yourself. And then finally, and I'm not sure how to interpret this, but... The last word possibly here is mothballs, okay? <laughs> so I know mothballs can cause nausea, vomiting, abominable pain, seizures, and coma. So maybe that's what it's about, and you might understand that better. 
Or maybe there's someone in your life who, you know, when you're around them, you, they smell of mothballs and this just triggered them into your mind for some reason and you might need that to, to dwell with and work out. Uh, but whatever it is, you know, we, we don't claim that these are perfectly God's words, just something that was on our hearts to share. And the prayer team would be happy to pray for you if you'd like to ask them for that. So we're going to enter into a time of worship to worship the one who knows the plan from beginning to end. The one who cannot be usurped. The one that evil has no power over. The one who is going to do away with evil altogether and for now asks us to be faithful to him. Because he is faithful and true to us. All the way to the bitter end. Through our pain. Through our sin. Hoping so much that the Darnell around us will also become wheat. And that he offers them the chance and he offers it through us. So, allow the Spirit to work in you as we worship in whatever way he needs to. Uh, you can take on whatever posture you like as we worship, but would you start by standing with us?